0: Hello and welcome to Behind the Bearcat. This is the podcast where the Northwest Missouri State University Career Services Office chats with Northwest faculty, staff, students, alumni, and friends to hear about their career journeys, how they got to where they are, and how they became Bearcats. I'm Career Services Assistant Director Travis Klein.
1: And I'm Hannah Christian, the Director of Career Services here at Northwest. And today's guest on our show is...
2: Adam Whiteside, a new professor here. Not quite Dr. yet, but I'm... Getting close. Well, welcome, uh, welcome,
1: Adam. Great to have you.
2: Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, excited.
1: All right. So, tell us what department you're in and what courses you're teaching this semester.
2: So, I'm in the Communication and Mass Media right now, and uh, currently just teaching the Oral Communication Intro course, uh, as well as one section of uh, Intercultural Communication. So, you get all the freshmen. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, the Intercultural I got kind of more of a bit of a mix. I think I do have some, a few older students in that one as well, but yeah, yeah, mostly freshmen all around though. Yeah.
1: So can you give us a little bit of background on how did you come to be a column professor? I mean, has communication always been interesting to you? What, how? Just give us the journey from like, we Adam to like how you got to this point.
2: Well, like, I think people have always just been super, like, I don't think typically when someone is interested in like studying people or like, research, you know, whatever that might be, like studying people, learning more about people, that their first idea is like communication, because a lot of people don't really understand what that is, you know, or what that, you know, that field is, maybe the mass media stuff a bit more. But other than that, like, you don't think like, they think like psychology, sociology, anthropology, stuff like that. Uh, It was really more so I was, so I was actually in mass comm when I was an undergrad. I was, when I was kind of growing up, my dad worked in sales, and he was really good at selling things and i was kind of good at that kind of good at persuasion and that kind of stuff just you know getting what i wanted when i was a kid you know it was kind of <laughs> the start i suppose of the impetus of it to some extent so i thought oh, i don't know maybe they can go into advertising and they that way can they can add some sort of layer of creativity to it to some extent make things and you know that kind of stuff was interesting to me the actual production stuff a little bit but mostly the creative side i thought that was interesting So I got into that and I was in undergrad, you know, not really thinking a lot as, you know, 18 year olds are not really going to have a clear plan. We're like, yeah, sure. That's, that sounds like something maybe, you know, my brother had gone to a school nearby. So I was like from St. Louis, you know, nearby is a smaller school in Illinois called the SAUE or Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, far enough away from home, but close enough to where I could like get away from parents and stuff like that, but also still have my friends come up if I wanted to and stuff you know, the priorities of someone who's 18. So yeah, I went into that and, you know, I thought advertising would be a decent, you know, way to go into it. Uh, and oftentimes like coming up with minors is like, okay, what makes sense with this in some way? So like speech comm was our version of the regular comm kind of track at that university. So, so they suggest that I should take some of those courses as well. And I liked those courses a lot better than I liked my math courses. I was more interested in the kind of studying people than I was I was still liked all the math and stuff, but, you know, I was just kind of the back of my head. I'm like, I like this stuff a lot, but I still, you know, went through, graduated, did all the, you know, advertising stuff, got into the job market. Uh, and that was a nightmare.
1: Tell us about the nightmare. <laughs> I, <laughs> this is what we love. <laughs> Tell us about the nightmare.
2: If, if anyone's in mass media, they know it's so competitive. You guys maybe have some idea of that, you know, running yeah. this in some way. I'm sure you know. Yeah, it's not easy to get work in mass media and you have to know how to kind of do everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you know, you can't just be this creative person like you have to know how to actually make it, you know, just like an inventor and people, you know, always tell you like, I have this great idea for this invention. And it's like, OK, can you make it? And it's like, well, no. And it's like, well, then that's the end of the story. Then <laughs> You know, you have to actually do it. Uh, and I wasn't as good at that or as passionate about that necessarily as I thought I was. My portfolio was not that great. I had a lot of issues getting jobs. I I must have applied about hundreds of different advertising jobs, and the best thing I'd come up with maybe is I get calls back from sales jobs, and I went to a few interviews with that, and I was like, this is awful. I would hate this, <laughs> and I kind of just had a, a existential crisis. I'm like, I don't even think I like what I went into, even because I'm even was even looking into like what the actual work was going to be. Because when you're in school, it's like all fun and games. It's like, oh, you can do an advertise, you know, a campaign or do some like. Make a, a ad or write copy for like these brands or organizations you actually care about, but that's not how it works in the real world, right? You work in an agency, you gotta do whatever they tell you, you know. Uh, you, know if, you know, if you have some kind of obli, you know, uh, uh, you know, issue with whatever organization, you don't agree with them and stuff like that. There's a bit of like that and kind of reflection on like, you know, is this like a good thing to do with my life? Is this like valuable? You know, my kind of kind of part of the the bad parts of the world in that way, <laughs> you know. Like helping these major corporations sell more of their stuff. Yeah. And I was kind of figuring out, okay, I always kind of thought I wanted to do teaching, but I never thought it was a real realistic thing to actually pursue. I don't know why. I just didn't, I didn't think a lot because I was young, but you know, I always like thought one day I'll go back and I'll teach, you know, like even when I was undergrad and I thought, why do I have to wait for that? Why can't I just do that now? Why It's a silly thing to do. I always enjoyed the speech comm or like the communication side that like studies people in all those classes like family communication you know romantic relationships and all that kind of stuff a lot more than i like the stuff i was doing so i went back to my advisor and i was like i kind of want to teach i like this stuff but that's all i got right now and i kind of in this weird space right now and we just talked for a while and i kind of decided that i'd be i would really enjoy Going to grad school because I, I never disliked school. I always liked learning more. I always like being in the environment while all the other kids were like counting the days until the graduation. Like I was like, why do you guys want to leave? It's so great here. Like you can go to class, learn these new things every day, you know, and this environment is great and it's constantly being around all these different kinds of people and, you know, ideas and stuff. And I'm like, why would you, anyone want to leave this environment? You know, so I think that was a big part of it. So I decided to kind of go to grad school there and got the idea in my head I want to be a professor because I didn't want to teach high schoolers because that's a whole mess. I wanted the most close thing I can get to, like an adult person-ish. Uh, and I wanted to keep <laughs> studying when I was studying and keep learning and not stopping the education process. You know, I didn't want to stop learning and stuff, and that's maybe to be the best way to do that. So that's the that's sort of medium, not so long, not so short version of it, I suppose.
1: When you went on to, to study those communication facets at a higher level what's your particular niche or interest or like what particularly fascinates you at that level of learning
2: um early days it was a lot of stuff with like romantic relationships specifically like i thought the initial like initiation part of things so like when you're you know, just starting to talk to someone. What does that look like? What are the weird social rules we have around that? Specifically when it comes to like online communication, like with like, I know early, like uh, when I was in my master's, I was really interested with like Tinder because at the time that was just coming on the scene, right? A lot of the dating apps were just kind of coming on the scene with Tinder and Grindr and Bumble and all these, I thought it was really interesting, kind of changing the whole dynamic of dating in a way, right? Whereas before, you know, you kind of like had to wait a long time before you could Meet someone, uh, you know, the social dynamics and rules of like going up to someone in the middle of the blue, like out of the blue kind of, or having to know them through a friend or something, it lowered your chances. Like you only had maybe a few opportunities tops a week or two weeks or even a month to meet someone new and had the potential. Whereas like all of a sudden all these apps come out and now you have hundreds of people you can potentially connect with in a matter of like in a couple hours or something, theoretically, so I thought that was super fascinating, right? And like, what are the new rules here? Like what, now this is kind of changing everything, right? So I was doing kind of some studying stuff with that. And then after a while, I kind of, I don't know, you change, you start thinking, okay, well, is there a more important thing I could be doing? I got less interested in that. And now I became a little bit, now my stuff is a bit more interested in when I kind of got my my uh, my, got my PhD stuff, you know, when I got into that, I kind of reassessed what I was interested in and I focused more on. Um, What are some major issues like, you know, going on in the world that I could that seemed like a bigger deal or affecting more people in a more like negative way that can maybe help in some way. At that same time, there was a lot of stuff going on with like Me Too. And like I think the Brett Kavanaugh hearings were happening at that time. I just started dating someone who was a victim of sexual violence. So like I kind of I'm like, okay, well maybe I can. I wanted to learn more about sexual violence. It was like one of those things that like I, just over the past few years, I was kind of an awakening. Like I didn't realize how this big of an issue it was because I'm a man. Like I don't, it's yeah, it's something that disproportionately affects women, it affects men obviously too, but it's not talked about as much obviously with those groups. But yeah, like, I mean, I thought, okay, this is something I should, I should, this is some real maybe change I can get into, right? And, and trying to figure out my space and where I could help or, or you know, research in a way that, I can relate to in some way. And basically that led me to looking at like masculinity, how people construct that because that actually is a huge impact on that issue. And then I kind of just kind of started getting to that. So right now I basically study like masculinity and how people, how those ideas get perpetuated in our everyday discourse, basically.
1: Top insights that you've had just in your recent writing. I'm sure if you're still in that phase, you're still writing through it, working through it, but maybe share a few top insights with us.
2: Top insights.
1: Any any applications of that? Like what you're thinking through?
2: So like right now my dissertation focuses on like, uh, like fraternity men and fraternities. Because like historically speaking, that tends to be one of those groups. So it's a huge like problem. I think with them, uh, well, first off, I wanted to get a good understanding for like how that group is kind of uh, what the perception is around them. Right. Which not very good. Right. Bad track record and stuff like that. I was formerly in a fraternity too so that's another reason I was interested in that and I kind of witnessed some of the, kind of the, the the everyday you know ways in which they like talk about women or they talk about like how like these ideas of what it means to be a man are kind of circulated and perpetuated through just everyday conversation right I like, guess one of the things I want to like I want to work on or that I think I can maybe help is working closer with those groups and being at the core of What it is, into like, because that's going to change, obviously, from university to university, what no fraternity is saying.
0: Even chapter to chapter, I would bet.
2: No, exactly, right? My, like, I guess, approach or thing I want to, what I would like to eventually do is kind of work with those groups more directly and get a sense for, okay, like, how is their individual version of what it means to be masculine? How is that? Like, what, what is that in that individual group? How is it getting circulated again and again? How can we... Break that down and show that like it's this sort of constructed, invented kind of thing, that they don't have to necessarily follow to like be defined as a, a man or be masculine or be accepted within that group, and you know, and, and through that maybe you know some of the the issues that we associate with fraternities, with the binge drinking, the violent behavior, whether it be physically, sexually, or whatever it might be, uh, will go down, or at the very least, it'll be uh, less accepted when it does happen, less ignored or like permissed in stuff like that and excused when it happens with their friends and people in the organization.
1: More awareness, less bystander effect, sort of.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Second level repercussions.
2: Exactly. Right.
0: Excellent. So how'd you end up at Northwest? So your St. Louis area going to school in Illinois, how did you end up in Maryville?
2: So I applied to a lot of different places and I think it was getting to be towards the end of March going into April. And I I went to a conference, uh, CSCA, which actually was in St. Louis but I I went in with a friend from Ohio. So I was from, I came from Kent State and Ohio and stuff. And we started to go to this conference. Another person in our program got us on some panels and things like that. And we were there and I just, it was like literally the last day of the conference. And I was kind of, I, you know, I did some schmoozing and all that kind of good stuff, trying to put my bug, you know, bugs in people's ears to like, you know, hey, you you should hire me. But anyway, I was just coming out of the bathroom. And, uh, you know, the one person in my program that I knew was just talking to, Joy Daggs, who is in our our program, uh, Dr. Daggs, and uh, they knew each other. I forget the connection, but they knew each other in some way. He just mentioned that I was on the market and we just kind of started talking. He's like, yeah, yeah, we're looking for someone right now at Northwest. So like, you should apply. And I'm like, that sounds great. And she was talking about the job and I sounded I my alley, you know. I didn't think much of it because like, you know, it's you learn to not get your hopes up too much when you're looking for jobs. You get a lot of rejection. I went back and I got an email from her like, Pretty soon after, like, it was like the same week, I think, I met her. She reached out. I was like, yeah, we have a job call coming out. Like, I'll tell you exactly when it's coming out. You should apply. And like, really excited for some reason. And in my head, I'm like, I don't know why I'm so special. <laughs> but I don't know, left some kind of good impression with her, I suppose. Yeah. And then I she I, I applied for it. And I immediately got, you know, once again, an email again, like trying to set up a you know, time for a Zoom interview. And it just, we kind of hit off, you know, uh, it was just people were just super friendly and inviting and it was a little less intimidating than I was used to. You know, I'd done a few other, you know, interviews and it was a bit more formal and intimidating and a bit more, um, you know, I get the sense there was more teaching focus here, which I liked a lot and like, like the people I was talking to. And eventually, you know, like I, they sent me a message to come up and do a visit, which was super anxiety inducing. And once again, I I thought it was gonna be this big formal thing. My advisor told me all this stuff that was going to be super formal. I got here and it like, Oddly kind of felt like I already had the job. <laughs> it was like he was like, uh, I, w- I got picked up by Matt Walker, uh, the head of our department. And he was just like, the I think the first thing he said was like, relax. Like I was just exuding, I guess, like stress and anxiety, you know, <laughs> as you'd imagine. Because it's like, this is like my like future in life, you know. <laughs> and I really wanted the job. So like, yeah, I mean, they were just so friendly and wonderful the whole time I was here. And I liked, you know, the vibe here. Like it was very student oriented, student focused, less crazy R1 research, you know, the publisher perish and all that good stuff, which is what, you know, I was wanting to avoid. So yeah, I mean, everything just clicked well and stuff. And, you know, they offered me a, gave me an offer shortly thereafter. And here I am. So I just
1: put about three concepts together there in that story, because I think you've given me a good tip and I'm going to show you how you're masculine construct is actually helping me with this concept. So you said you went to the restroom and your friend. So basically what I'm hearing is if you're looking for jobs, you need to have a job wingman because you were just doing your thing and your job wingman was like, Hey, my buddy's on the market. Right? So again, masculine construct. maybe women aren't, aren't flying around like this, but useful tool in knowing like, hey, I'm looking for a job, it's going to be difficult, I'm going to have rejection, I need an assistant over here who's like, feed me all the love, who's like, hey, so and so is available, right? So, and that kind of ties in with the dating app thing too, right? Because before you had to have, like, you're going to go to a bar, go to wherever, got to have this person who's like selling you, right? But Tinder sells you, right? I mean, you put yourself on Tinder and then you sell yourself, I guess. So I'm just, I'm thinking through all these concepts. Travis, we may not need to schedule Friday afternoon podcasts anymore because weird things come out for me from Friday afternoon (laughs) podcasts. But anyway, just thinking through that, like, I mean, we, and we help students too, but I don't, Mm -hmm. students and community members and other people, but I I think, and you say wingman, like it's, if you have someone you trust and know, and you know, they have your best interest at heart, you know, that they're going to sell you well. People trusting us. I mean, we we have a, a full time staff, staff to student ratio of what is it, Travis, like one to 2,300. 2000 to one? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a little hard for each of us to do that individually, but super willing to try, you know, if anybody comes in. And we do help lots of students and lots of alums and lots of staff. But if you have someone, just to anyone who might be listening who's looking for work and just facing that situation find i'm gonna call them a wing person right find yeah. yourself a wing person that that's uh that's what adam taught me today wing person <laughs> in the job market hunt is a really really good thing to have
2: no 100 too and also it makes it easier to like talk about yourself because they'll kind of warm you up a little bit It's like having like uh because that's what he did it's like having like an open an opener you know when if you're a comedian you know you needed someone to kind of get to- this yeah Exactly, yeah. kind of get the crowd going, get you hyped up, and stuff like that, talk you up so you don't got to talk yourself up as much. Yeah,
1: and and you look like the humble and, you know, oh, thank you so much. You don't look like the arrogant person talking about yourself all the time, right?
2: Well, I don't talk about myself a lot. And sometimes, it, it's okay in this setting, but like sometimes it gets too much and I get kind of uncomfortable. I'm like, en- enough about me. What's going on with you guys? <laughs> <I kind of laughs>
0: And we hear that from students all the time when they are applying for jobs and things like yeah. that, that it's really hard for them, like in an interview, to really sell themselves to the employer. They feel like, especially Midwestern students, we've got that whole oh, yeah. Midwest nice, you don't talk about yourself that way. So it's really oh, exactly. hard sometimes for students to, to talk about themselves, even though that's literally what you're there for in a job interview.
2: Not to mention self-esteem stuff, mm-hmm. you know, if you have any kind of self-esteem or, you know, issues with like, you know, your image and stuff like that, it's going to be a huge step, huge issue for you. Can't imagine that situation? I mean, I have a little of that, but like, I mean, I know people where it's like a thousand times worse.
1: So from the communication side of things, and I mean, I guess recent experience as well, uh, any advice for approaching an interview, whether it's over Zoom or in person or for any type of job? Interview prep tips.
2: I mean a big thing doing your homework obviously ahead of time knowing like the people you're going to be interviewing it's you know I say that too but like that didn't come up as much either so I'm, I'm I feel like I'm saying that in, like all the interviews the interviews I did have like I had about 5 or 6 and I think I'd mentioned what they were doing a few different times but like it, they don't they're just asking about you so like I that's a good thing I think when you're applying but in the actual interview itself like having all those questions prepared and expected, you know, to have the usual was why is this job different than the rest? Like what stood out to you about it? Having a good response for that. I know it's like the teaching stuff. It was like specific to like, you know, what classes like knowing what classes they had here, what kind of stuff I could teach. So what you know, which just translates to knowing what you'll offer them, because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, they want to know what you're going to bring to the table. It's different than the next hundred people or whatever it might be. So, you know, doing that and kind of figuring out, okay, like, where's my little, you you know, unique addition or, you know, how can I add to this in a way that other people may not be able to. It was nice about the Zoom interviews that you can have notes available. So I'm anticipating all their questions and stuff like that. Having someone in the industry that actually does hiring is always helpful because they can tell you like, these are the questions they're going to ask and you need to have prepared responses for them. So yeah, being able to respond to those different things when they come to you, you know, having anticipating their questions I don't know I I just like tried to be nice and smile a lot and such that's the thing too is that they want to think you know like that people don't talk about this as much but it's like they want to work with someone they like having that humility like no one likes to work with someone who thinks they're like too arrogant and whatnot Uh, so yeah I don't know like being down to earth I guess is definitely a good thing
1: so we used to have a class where we had so this was like pre-Zoom being popular, we had an interview platform and uh, students would record themselves doing basically what we're doing, Zoom interviews. And they would have a list of interview questions and then they would answer the questions to the computer, right? And then we had to come back in and grade them. So we were watching hours of like self-interviews here. And this is data, I'm telling you, from all those thousands of hours of interviews, the number of students who were like, My name is John. I want to blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my all my feedback, like pretty much on 99 percent was like, just smile, just smile and appear personable. And your interview will be 300 percent better. Like Mm -hmm. I don't even care about your answers. I don't want to look at your face.
2: I think I had some not some a decent amount of advantage. In fact, that I had taught speech for so long and also that I was in video performance classes and that kind of stuff when I was in undergrad. So I'm like very conscientious about like, okay, am I having enough gestures? Am I facial expressions good? Am I adding enough vocal variety? Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) am I like, you know, doing enough things with all my body? You know, uh, all those things are very conscious to me and I'm very much hyper aware of myself in those situations. So yeah, but like, yeah, you you, you can't just be monotone and be dead in the eyes and face. You have to move a little bit and act like a person. Like a lot of it is just trying to, you know, when I do speech stuff is trying to like get them to communicate like they do with their friends, like things they do every day. Like you use gestures when you're relaxed and stuff and you're telling stories, you know, maybe more some more than others. Like you move your face, you smile, you, you know, tilt your head, you change your posture like you do all those things normally. So like trying to get you to not be a robot in those situations. It, it I mean, it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. I have my issues, too. But it's something you need to learn how to do. Uh, you know, it's one of those kind of little effects that people don't think about when they take the speech courses.
1: Yeah, it boils down to those are skills that you can practice, right? You even oh, yeah. if you're the worst person of the world, if you're like this in your interviews, like you can learn how to relax and you can learn how to be more,
2: more interview human. savvy,
1: I guess. <laughs> yeah, more human. Be human in your interviews. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are those are actual skills that you can learn and then practice you don't have to be bad at interviewing
2: no exactly and there's like tons of communication i know the big stereotype is like oh you're this communication person you should be really good at like communicating or whatever and then you should be this really personable outgoing you know extrovert but a lot of communication people i know are not that. they're like very much introverted and they kind of learn the skills to pretend when they need to so that's what we're all kind of doing, right? <laughs> you Short <know>? bursts.
0: Not <laughs> you know, all Travis the time. Just <laughs> when you're on. Yes. I was a broadcasting major and I'm about as big as an introvert as you can be, but you just no, you exactly do small little performances, little little vignettes, little play little pieces. Yeah. And that's that's when you're on. And then when you're off, you are
2: off. Yeah, no, you go home, shut the blinds, and be alone and don't talk or say anything to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> like that's your little social break. But yeah, you gotta be on when you're on. Yeah, you gotta be learning how to do that stuff, even if it's not you know natural or comfortable.
0: So I have a question. So you teach that entry like foundations of calm. So is that basically speech class? I'm guessing that's the...
2: It's a split. Every university is different how they do it. But yeah, here they kind of have like a little half, half of it is speech oriented. And the other half is like, here's the discipline, here are all the different things we study in communication different pathways, whether it be org, organizational communication, interpersonal, intercultural, all those different things. So yeah, it's like everything kind of wrapped into one. But that is a big element of it. Yeah.
0: So how how challenging is it to teach that to, you know, if that's required for all freshmen or students who don't have that through like dual credit. And then so many people are deathly afraid of public speaking. You know, there's all those studies that like, that's the number one thing they're afraid of before dying is speaking in public. How difficult is it to get people to come out of their shells in that, you know, if they're not the calm kid or the broadcasting student who, you know, likes to do it. So many of them don't, how do you get them to kind of get over that big fear?
2: Well, they just have to do it. First okay. off, <laughs> I know it's, what I was to, like, it's, a, it's a very simple like there's, there's more I'm going to add to that. But yeah, the big thing is like, you know, you come in and like, well, you guys have to do this. I'm going to grade you on how well you do that. So you have no choice. Is this something you need to like, it's just, you know, with some of them, it is very, with a lot of them, it is like pulling teeth, especially like at my, uh, the last place I was at at Kent State, one of the requirements we had was doing an impromptu speech. So, think about like, you know, where you guys were like 18 and this, the teacher just staying in the middle of class saying, You tell us about this now, go. So, like, yeah, so like you can imagine, like, I mean, even now, like, if someone did that to me, I'd be like full, so full of nerves and like, you know, I wouldn't know what to say and stuff like that. And I'd res- be resisting it the entire time and asking constantly when I can sit down, which is what happens a lot of times. <laughs> You know, uh, so that kind of stuff, yeah, it's really difficult. And also they just don't have the skills, once again, to improvise. They don't have a lot of vocabulary. It's not the great, the best. They don't have a lot of knowledge. So like they can't reach, you know, there's, when they reach for something, it's like not there because they haven't learned about a lot of different things yet. But yeah, that's difficult. The, yeah, it's difficult, but it is isn't in the sense that, you know, once we get to the actual speeches, like they put so much time and we've forced so much time and prep to go into that. Like there's so much planning guys like go into that like as far as making outlines and a whole week is just been just for them just to think of topics that you know were more creative and not just the usual suspects and workshopping those outlines figuring out like the best way to which they can condense their ideas practice those and you know get a really get a good sense of uh, the material so when they go in there like not only can they they do the practicing and stuff like that delivery wise, as they should. Some don't always do that, obviously. And, you know, there's plenty of bad speeches that happens. It's going to happen. There people are going up there and they're going to read the whole time. You know, that's going to be a, a normal thing. That's going to happen. You can tell them to the practice, but that they're not going to do that. And, you know, always, but it's actually, ironically, it's the people I find that are the most confident actually tend to do the worst or not the worst, but they don't do as good as they think you would think they would do. Right. So the people that come in, like you do the impromptu speech to get up, they're like, ha ha ha. And they just kind of like, you know, like sort of, you know, they're, they're doing the gestures, they're making jokes. People are laughing. You know, they're super bubbly. It's like, OK, these people are used to being in the center of attention. They're used to kind of controlling the room. But the issue they have then is actually doing their work. They think they can get around, get by with the charisma. <laughs>
1: Every speech I gave in that class was extemporaneous, and then I'd write an outline of what I said and turn it in. I didn't do that great, so let's be clear. <laughs> but I did not do the work like the work required to have a really good argument in my speech and then practice yeah. it so it came off polished. I just was like, what am I going to talk about? And then I just talked about it, and then I just reverse order that. Bad idea. Don't do that, friends.
2: Yeah, a little reverse engineering. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what happens, yeah. Like some people come in there and like they they think, okay, my charisma can carry me five six minutes, and it can really carry them about thirty seconds. But as soon as they have to like get to the actual content, they're just all over the place. It's all tangents. There's no through line. The research is not there. They don't cite their sources. Like, like because that's the thing. It's like it, yeah. Like you need to have a good delivery, but without like the content, you're just it's nothing. Like it's, you're just, you're just riffing. It's a There's hollow no, shell. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. That's
0: why so many people have speech writers, right? Cause they're, they can yeah. perform, but they can't do the rest of it that goes with it. So
2: no. So the people that are best, I find are actually the people that have the, the not always, but most of the time have the, actually the most anxiety. And because they are so anxious about it, they spend hours just writing, prepping, editing, and trying to practice the performance to the point to where like, it's just muscle memory. I mean, that's what I did. Like literally, I I used to get so terrified and so anxious before public speaking. Anytime I had a a semester where I had three different courses where every week I was doing some kind of version of a speech. If not one, two or three, like in the same week or two in the same day or something like that. So that forced me to like, you know, deal with that. But I would black out during speeches. Like I don't, I wouldn't remember what I said, what I did. Uh, I would print out notes I wouldn't look at. I still can't do that. I still don't, like, I'll write myself notes. I'll write an outline, but I can't look at them during. just That's my own little thing. It's those people, though, but they'll spend, like I did, like those hours and hours just practicing and prepping for that to the point to where it's just kind of like, you know, autopilot.
1: What can I do? So I'm thinking through, like, even as a professional who's, you know, let's say you've been 20, 25, 30 years in a position. Mm -hmm. As you move up, those oral presentation skills become, I think, more necessary. And it becomes quite obvious who is good at giving public speeches and who is not. But if I have someone who is really nervous about it and comes off very stilted, they're in a leadership role and they're a senior leader, maybe what are one or two things that they could do to improve their public
2: speaking capacity?
1: Skills or drills? I don't know.
2: A lot of times it's just people just don't put in the work. Even people in leadership positions that that should take this a lot more seriously than they do uh, is that they'll write it or have someone help them write or do it themselves they'll maybe learn the information a little bit but they just don't practice it, I know it's a simple response but like people just like they get like they think they can just read through that and that's gonna have the same impact as if they learned the information sat in a room for like an hour or two hours just going through it each time, making little little notes, and not treating it like it's a manuscript. So that's what often will happen is they'll write a they'll write a they'll sit down, maybe someone else or them or a combination of both will sit down, they'll type out a speech word for word of what it should be, which is isn't always a I mean it's generally not a good way to go about it, but like you can work with that if you if you strip that down to some notes and then improvise a little bit each time, right? Because you just want the main ideas. What are the main things you want to say? Maybe there's a few times either introduction, conclusion or little quotes where, like I need to say it in this specific way. Maybe you memorize that in some way. But other than that, like you want to know the information and you're going to be OK with like forgetting to say a couple things or saying things differently each time. That's what's going to be. That's what's going to take for you to have all those eye contact, those gestures and have a connection with the audience. But what happens every time is, like I said, they will write the speech, they'll read through it, maybe just so they don't have any like a flub or two. And they be like, that's good. And they'll get up there and then uh, they'll read the entire time. They won't look up and they'll think that it'll have the same effect. And it doesn't. So really, it's just they don't practice. People ask me that with wedding speeches a lot. I have, you know, I've been to a lot of weddings. I'm 30 now. You know, okay. that's when everyone gets married. I mean, I've been married recently, too. So I mean, I'm also a part of that trend. But friends are like, give me like, like you teach folks being What's some advice. It's like, did you practice at all last night? It's like, no. well." <laughs> I can't I'm gonna give you a magical solution right now. You needed to practice.
0: Yeah, no practice in alcohol is not a formula for success.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they read off a piece of paper or they don't and they go on tangents and tell them just stories that aren't relevant. And now we have a waiting toast the last ten minutes that could have been like three.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you joining us today and so glad to have you as part of the Northwest
2: Campus now. Yes. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Thank you for having me. Uh I'm gonna go to practice. Yes. I want
1: to go practice my public speaking.
2: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Was, I thank you guys so much. Hope you guys have a good day. Good weekend.
0: Well, that will do it for another episode of Behind the Bearcat, and we'll talk to you next time.